your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to uh, the book of Malachi. This will be the last time I get to preach out of Malachi. And uh, we will uh, be finishing that book today and uh, looking at chapter 4, Malachi chapter 4. So you can go ahead and turn there. If you're having trouble finding Malachi, go to Matthew and turn one page back and you should be there. Unless your Bible is a study Bible and has a big section about the intertestamental time. Tomorrow we'll remember those that did not get to come home from war on Memorial Day. The remembrance began after the Civil War in the 1860s and was special uh, during and after both world wars. And in 1968, Congress uh, declared it a full holiday so that on Mondays, uh, the last Monday or the 30th uh, tomorrow, we'll celebrate that holiday and remember our fallen heroes that did not come home. One of the wars that was uh, very infamous or that we know much about, many movies have been written, books and volumes, whole libraries dedicated to the war or World War II. And if you remember, there was raids or bombings in England. And in September uh, 7th in 1940, 300 German bombers raided, uh, raided London. British intelligence had anticipated this, but really it was very late in the game, maybe just the day before or the day of, that they would realize they were going to be bombarded. Those German planes dropped 337 tons of bombs uh, on London that day. And after this first day, they endured 57 consecutive nights of bombing. This bombing was called a blitzkrieg or lightning war. And the war would continue to May in 1941. And I imagine the anticipation of waiting and knowing evening after evening that those planes were coming in England would have been an awful and dreadful feeling. For any family that there you would know that day would conclude with an evening with constant shellings. You would know the end or that uh, end of that would hopefully come in the morning. But what an awful time to anticipate and how stressful the day would be when you would know that would come, come, be coming to them. However, the motions would be completely different when the, new, when the end of the war was coming. On May 8th in 1945, finally, after Great Britain and the United States celebrated, uh, they celebrated Victory in Europe Day, or VE Day. And just a little bit later in that summer, August 14th in 1945, it was announced that Japan had surrendered unconditionally to the Allies, effectively ending World War II. And the difference of that anticipation of those waiting for those bombs to come to England and those anticipating their soldiers coming home, knowing the war is over and hugging their family when they're getting off the ship would have been a totally different emotion. In fact, if you look back and you search up uh, pictures of Victory in Japan Day, you'll see soldiers celebrating, hugging, families uh, with signs holding up. And one of the most famous pictures, a soldier kissing a nurse that day, and it's one of the most famous pictures of that day. And the anticipation of that being over was a totally radically different feeling. The joy of coming home from war and the victory celebrated versus the impending doom of the bombings had to be very different. And when I read the close of Malachi 1 through 6, I get a very similar feeling. We get an approach that's coming and we realize there's a day that's coming. And for some, it will be a wondrous day. 
and for others, it's a day of dread. Some look at this coming day with dread, others with joy. And it will see when we'll see that if those that honor and fear God, it'll be a day of joy. But those that are evildoers and arrogant and disregard God and don't fear his name, it will be a day of great judgment. Malachi, we'll just look at the book for a little bit and a little review and a recap of it, but just very short time. If we look at it. We'll see, and we've seen over the theme of Malachi, dishonoring the dishonoring of God will be punished. God will punish those that dishonor his name. But those who fear his name, they will be rescued and rewarded. And that's really the theme that we see. We saw in the first chapter that the people said, God doesn't love us. But God said that he does. He, they were his chosen people. Then the people offered terrible sacrifices, but God said, and they said, what's the problem? And God said, you didn't honor me. You didn't honor my name because of the sacrifices you brought. The priests, they caused people to stumble because they t- taught wicked things. They caused them to fall and, and follow after wrong things. And God said, those faithful teachers that teach, that teach about God, those are the ones that honor me. If you remember, the people ran after uh, women of fo- that worshipped fo- foreign gods. They married. They intermarried. God talked about his hatred for divorce because they were divorcing their wives. And it was really showing that they didn't fear God and his word. They didn't honor what he had wanted. And over and over and over, Israel stops honoring God and fearing God's name. And in fact, the people were so audacious, audacious in the end of chapter 2 and beginning of chapter 3, the people said, God, you actually love the evildoers or delight in the evildoers more than us. And God said, no, one day I'm going to punish those evildoers. I will respect those that fear my name. Then God said, you don't honor me because you rob me. You don't give your tithes and your offerings. You don't give what you're supposed to. You clearly show that you don't respect and honor me. And the people get to the end of chapter 3 and Malachi says they thought it was actually vain to serve God. They weren't getting the rewards and the benefits that they thought. And so they just said, God, you're not giving us what we think we deserve. And they said, it's not worth serving you. And you see, time after time after time, these people did not honor God. And today, in chapter 4, we're going to see what will happen with these evildoers. They may wonder, they may live life And think that everything's going great. But there's a day coming that's going to be very difficult for those that don't follow God. Let's read in Malachi chapter 4 verse 1. It says, follow along as I read. It says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stalls. You shall tread down the wicked, for they shall will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, he concludes with these three verses. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. 
And he will turn hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. In verse one, we see very clearly the coming of the Lord will be judgment for the wicked. In verse or the first verse, we see it's very clear the coming of the Lord will be judgment for the wicked. We see four one actually links back, and if we and I, if you remember last time, I, it's been a long time, so you probably don't remember, and that's okay. But in the Hebrew Bible, the last chapter is actually combined uh, with chapter three, and so these are all linked together. And so in chapter three, they said, "God, it's not worth serving you. You actually honor evil doers." And God said, "No, I will honor the righteous." And God kind of goes back to this again, but he says very clearly what's going to happen to those that do not honor God. It says that he will judge the wicked and and it says that he will it'll be a very thorough destruction of unbelievers. There's coming a day that will be a terrible day for unbelievers. The word of God often talks about this day that is coming. It's not just the day of of the Lord, but it's the coming of the uh, not just the coming of the Messiah. It wasn't the first coming of Christ, but it's a day in the future where there will be judgment. And it's described in a couple ways. It's described as the uh, uh, these words to describe these that will be judged are called arrogant and all evildoers. These are people that have turned against God, that do evil, and they're arrogant against against him. You know, you think of people that don't follow God and don't honor him with his name, and we have a culture that does this. Those people arrogantly and boldly say God doesn't exist. They'll say something to Christians. You worship an imaginary person. You worship an imaginary God. And all these arrogant and evildoers... They're called this in the in the Bible, and we see this even now. These arrogant evildoers, they're going to have destruction. In fact, they're said, God says that they're going to be turned into stubble. And stubble is really that worthless piece or worthless pieces of the harvest. So when a harvester goes through and there's stubble or the things that are left on the ground, that's stubble, and it's really worthless. One of the things that it's good for or easy to do is it's easy to burn. And so God says these evildoers and arrogant against him, they're going to be turned into stubble, the worthless part of the crop. And it says that they're going to be set ablaze on fire, a complete thorough burning. He says it's going to be coming like an oven. And this description, when you read this verse, you start to see God's judgment on the wicked is something we want to avoid. It's something that you should say, am I a child of God? Am I a follower of the king? And if you if you look at the word of God and you say, that's okay for you to believe those things about Jesus. And it's okay for you to believe that. But I don't really think it's a big deal if I don't believe it. Or you say, Jesus is a good person. He's a great teacher, but I don't believe what he says. What he says about hell isn't really true. There will be a day of reckoning that's coming. And for the wicked... That day of anticipation should be terrifying. It coming, it's coming like a blaze of fire, like an oven that's going to burn everything completely. It says these, the day is coming, they'll set ablaze the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. When you think of a tree, you think of, you know, you may think of the big trunk and as, as you go outside and you see we have two massive oak trees here that rain leaves down on our property constantly and acorns and the only ones that love it are the squirrels, right? But you look at the tree 
And you would say one of the the very bottom of that tree is the roots. The very top of that tree are the leaves or the branches. And, and, and this verse is describing the destruction of these wicked evildoers will be thorough. He describes it like a tree from beginning or from the very bottom, from the very beginning to the very end. All of it will be destroyed. And so Malachi says, wicked evildoers, watch out. You have no regard for his name. You don't honor him. You don't care about him. You will be destroyed. One of the problems with evildoers and the wicked is they don't think they have a problem. Often we realize we talk about blind spots. When you're driving, you don't see something and you get into the other lane and hopefully your car has that little blinker or something lights up or beeps and says there's somebody there. There's something there in your blind spot that you didn't see well. And especially arrogant evildoers have a lot of blind spots. And one of them is that they don't think that God's going to punish them because nothing's happening now. So probably nothing's going to happen in the future. And they live life thinking everything's good now. And so I just anticipate everything will be good in the future. And they just try and ignore the teaching of God or what the word of God says. And so don't have a lack of judgment. Lack of judgment now and consequences now should not fool you into thinking that there will be a lack of judgment in the future for the wicked. We falsely or we deceive ourselves thinking if God that God is not going to do this. Dear friend, if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've not submitted to King Jesus, would you do that today? Would you say and wake up from your stupor and your blindness and saying it doesn't matter? And would you turn to him? And repent to King and turn and submit to King Jesus. God's timing is not your timing. We may think everything's going well. And for believers, sometimes we think we think and we look at this world and we think, God, why don't you stop all the evil and the destruction right now? These Christians that are being hurt in your name and the evildoers think that there's no problem. But there will be a day that judgment will come. But for those that follow the Lord. We see in verse 2 and 3, it will be a great day of joy. This coming day will be a day that we look and rejoice. So point number two, we'll see the coming of the Lord will bring great joy to those who fear him. Point two says the coming of the Lord will be great joy to those who fear him. We know that this book has said much about honoring God and fearing his name. The New Testament and throughout the book of the Bible, we see that we need to honor God's name. Psalm 23, 3 says this, he restores my soul. And you may have read and and remember Psalm 23 as this. You may have memorized it, but you sometimes overlook this part. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why does he do that? For his name's sake. Psalm 79, 9 says this. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us. And atone for our sins for your name's sake. Twice in that verse, he says, this is for your name. It says in Mark 13, 13, and you will be hated by all. Why? For my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And 1 John 2.12 says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Why are sins forgiven? For his name's sake. Why does God do what he does? It's so that he will get the glory throughout all the earth and all creation will praise his name. You think, well, God, God, 
maybe that's selfish or God, you want glory for yourself? Well, yes, he created everything. He's God. He deserves the glory and praise. He deserves everything we give to him. But our problem as humans is that we sin and we want glory and pleasure and enjoyment for ourselves. And so you understand when we see in Malachi chapter two, when it talks about his name, we see that there's an importance throughout Scripture that God puts on his name and his reputation. And those that fear his name will be honored. So look in Malachi two, it says, but for you who fear my name, you can just ask a question. Am I a person that fears the name of God? Do I honor and respect his name? Says the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. The coming of the Lord will bring great joy to those who fear him. And we've and, and as we see very clearly, God is coming and bringing a wonderful time for believers. But it is not yet today. But he says the son of righteousness is coming. And when we look at this son of righteousness, you we should look at the spelling because in English, son and son sound very similar, right? Those are two different words. One is spelled with an O, one is spelled with an U. And if you look in your Bible, in verse 2, it says the son of righteousness, all right, S-U-N. It's a figure of speech comparing the actual son to the coming Messiah. It's an implied comparison. It's signaling, signaling the dawn of a new day as you've woken up, maybe not very recently if you've been sleeping in because it's summer or whatever. Uh, it, sometimes you wake up and see the sunrise. It's a new day dawning. And here it said his primary benefit is righteousness, the sun of righteousness, this morning, uh, this morning glory. Is his chief attribute here is described as righteousness, just as it is in Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will call the Lord is our righteousness. Over and over, we see God is called, or Jesus Christ is called, the righteous one. Psalm 84, 11 says, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Malachi 4, 2 says, puts, kind of pulls these together and describes the coming Messiah as the son of righteousness. The son of righteousness is a stark contrast from the burning oven that's coming to destroy the wicked. The sun that rises, the morning sun that's fresh and new every day is a wonderful thing for us to see. The coming judgment like an oven and burning fire is destruction for the wicked. But he says the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You may see a picture. I think we have one uh, there. But a picture when you see uh, the sunrise and sometimes it's very hard to capture with a, a camera, but you almost see the sun rising up and the rays almost look like those wings of a huge bird overlooking the land. And I think this is the imagery here that this is this is talking about. They'll be healing in the wings. And we see this throughout Scripture. God over over shining over the earth. And he comes with healing in his wings. He will bring healing to the land. The son of righteousness, wherever he shines, he will heal. 
He will heal from sin, from death, and from the grip of Satan. It will be a full physical, uh, emotional, and spiritual healing. And so believers, as bad as the days may be, the destruction coming for the wicked will be awful, but the healing and joy that we get to see from, the, from when the Lord comes will be full and complete. It will be healing for, belie- for believers. It will also be freedom from sin. It says in the end of verse 2, You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, like a calf that runs out after a cold winter that is born in the winter, runs out from the stall and is so happy to see the green grass, to be free, not in the stalks, to be able to go and run freely. I've never really raised too many calves or cattle at all. I see them sometimes when we're at a, a ranch and, and I'll see them, and they really don't look that happy. I've never seen happy cows, but I'm sure when they run out, I've seen this on video, they run out and they're happy. And it makes me think often when I open the front door of my house and for our dog that likes to play Frisbee and I let him go out, he knows he's getting in the truck, he's going on a truck ride, and he's going to go throw Frisbee. He runs out the door, bends down, picks up a Frisbee, does a spin around, and he's just wagging his little stubby tail, and he just gets so excited, he runs and jumps in my truck and we go throw play. play. I think that's got to be similar to those that have seen a calf like this running out, seeing fresh green grass not stuck inside a barn. And this is a beautiful description. The son of righteousness, when this Messiah comes, the second coming, there will be joy, sheer joy. The Messiah comes. He's bringing victory. He's bringing freedom. He's bringing healing. Freedom from sin. Healing from the evil and victory over the evil one. And it makes clear in verse 3. It says this in verse 3, that you shall tread down on the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. If you remember back to verse 1, the evildoers, the wicked ones, were turned into stubble, completely burned. It said from the root to the branches, everything destroyed. And those that have honored and feared the name of God, they will actually have victory stepping over, stepping on the wicked evildoers. And when you see the Lord of hosts when in your Bible, possibly some of your translations have interpreted it this way, the Lord of angel armies. When he says the Lord of hosts, he's talking about angel armies, the God over that rules over all this, that has all the angels at his full command. To trample the enemy, the Lord of hosts will trample over these enemies and we'll be a part of it. That's not a part for us to look at the wicked and laugh and say, boy, I can't wait till we trample over you until I'm stepping on your ashes. That's not a great way to win friends and influence people. It's not a good way to share the gospel. But there is a clear coming destruction for the evil ones and those that have feared the name of God will have the victory. I don't know if you've ever seen in sports or in basketball or or some kind of game, they possibly dunk on an opponent or they catch a touchdown, whatever it is, that opponent that got dunked on or caught the, you know, just missed uh, knocking down the pass, they fall down on the ground. And one of the most disrespectful things that happens is sometimes that opponent just steps over that person that's on the ground, walks over them. And if you see that happen, you can look at highlights that people get up. And they almost want to fight right away because they know they've just been so disrespected that they don't think they deserve that. It's very clear the imagery, I think, here 
the wicked one will be trampled on. There'll be ashes. All there'll be is pavers in the road for people to walk on that have victory with the with our king. So I ask, what is your perspective on the coming day? Is it the one of anticipation that looks forward to the king, the son of righteousness that has healing in his wings, that will bring joy and freedom? Or are you looking at that day and saying, I'm worried about the judgment. I'm worried about what will happen. You may say, I know that I've trusted God and I follow Christ. But you may say, my family hasn't. My friends haven't. It should be a very clear impetus for us to run out and tell people about this coming King, Jesus, the Savior, who wants to bring healing. So what does he say in this verse? He finishes, Malachi finishes, and he says in verse 4, Remember the law of my servant Moses. And he's telling us, and with that word remember, he's saying, Get ready for the coming of the Lord. So point three, the last point that we have is get ready for the coming of the Lord. Get ready for the coming of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you're like me, uh, but if somebody says they're coming over to my house or I invite them, I basically think let's carve a little pathway from the doorway to the rest of the house or maybe to the couch so they can sit down. The rest of it, if it gets cleaned up, I'm not so worried about, you know, just they can sit down, right? And that's how a house of five boys and uh, Hannah, and then Hannah uh, thinks. And so Hannah's idea is if I say uh, we're having company, she might think, well, we should probably sweep the floor, do the dishes, and we should clean everything around here and probably mop and then actually have the couches nice and put away your junk and uh, do all that. And I think both ways are adequate, right? I mean, you can still have company either way. Praise God, I have a wife that actually helps us get ready that way, right? Because our house is a disaster zone anyways with five boys uh, of us. But, you know, it's, you know, you get ready for something can be very different. And so Malachi says, remember, he's saying, get ready, prepare for the coming of the Lord. And how does he say or what does he say to do? He says, remember the law of my servant Moses. So what is he telling us to do? He's saying by being obedient to Scripture. It says in verse 4, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. And he says, look, all of what I told you, remember to do. And if you think back on Malachi and the book, as I kind of gave a summary over it, what have they done? Well, they said, God, you didn't love us. Then they start bringing sacrifices that are awful, blind, lame, and terrible. They, they're disobeying Scripture. They don't believe what God said. They're marrying foreign gods. They were disobeying Scripture again. The priests weren't teaching the right Scripture. They're disobeying again. They're not bringing tithes, which was in the Scripture. They're not obeying. Very clearly, over and over and over, they're not following the Word of God. What do the arrogant and evildoer and the wicked people do? They don't follow God's word. And so if you ever get to a point and think, well, I love God and I want to follow him and I'm one of his people, but I don't follow the word of God. I don't follow his commands. I don't listen to what he says in scripture. Then just that should clue you to say I'm blind. I'm not actually following God the right way because obedience to Scripture and to the Word of God is what we see is somebody that fears God's name is what we do, is what they do. So we encourage them, remember and think about what you are supposed to do and then change your lives according to it. 
I mean, sometimes I speak to young people, whether it's my children or not. You'll have to just wonder. Uh, but I've been with a, a number of young people through the years as we have the youth group in different places. And, and, and you may ask the question, did you hear me? And sometimes the response is, yeah, I heard you. But what is the implication of that? Yeah, I heard you. Well, sometimes it's like, yeah, I heard you. But then the actions very clearly show I'm not doing anything about it. You may say, go pick up all the balls in the gym and let's, you know, get it cleaned up. Did you guys hear me? We heard you. Okay. well, there's no balls being picked up, right? Sometimes that's how we have the word of God. I think Malachi, at the end of this book, he's like, you have not listened to God and his scripture that you have. What should you do? Remember, listen and follow it. You may have heard it, but when you walk away and do something different, you're not actually listening and obeying. When you look at the scripture and disobey it, you're not honoring God. Don't ever separate those two things. You may say, I want to honor God, but you don't obey scripture. You may say, I honor God in my life and everything I do. But you complain, you get bitter at people, you run from God, don't follow his word. Then those two things are not true. You, you may if you don't honor God's word, you're not honoring him. If you don't obey God's word, you're not obeying him. Those two are they're linked together. He says, what else should we do? So we listen to the word of God. And then he says something very interesting in verse five. Says, behold, I will send to you, send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, uh, the Lord comes. Now, if we look back at Malachi chapter three, verse one, we would remember that it talks about the one out in the wilderness preparing the way, and it's very clearly in Malachi three one talking about John the Baptist and the one that comes in the power of Elijah. And this is Elijah mentioned again so often, or sometimes people will look at this and think, this must be John the Baptist. And, and good uh, people will sometimes believe that. I believe that there's many, and the, the most will say this is probably the Elijah that is mentioned in Revelation chapter 12. And we're not going to go there, but there's one that comes in the power of Elijah uh, in Revelation 12, basically proclaiming and telling people to turn to the Lord. And I believe that's what this is talking about. There will be a time in the future when it comes in power, like the prophet Elijah, that tells people to repent and turn to the Lord. And so what do we do? Well, Elijah there is going to tell people, turn and listen to Scripture. What should our response be even before we hear that? Now, turn and listen to Scripture. Hear the Word of God. What will that prophet Elijah say? What did, what did John the Baptist say? He declared the Scripture. He said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So what do we do now? We repent. We don't wait for the last moment. We don't wait for judgment day. We don't sit and say, I'm going to wait till the last day of my life and on my deathbed, I'll repent and turn to Jesus. We repent now and heed the call. And he says in verse five, or verse six, he says he will return. The, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. What do we do? We heed the call listening to scripture by turning from evil. Elijah will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers. Well, what does that mean? It really means a restored and renewed relationship. 
when somebody is dishonoring the name of their father, when you may see a child or somebody that goes out and, and you, they say, hey, don't, don't embarrass our family. Don't embarrass me. They go out and they embarrass their family. They live a life completely against the things that they were taught. Maybe eventually they come to their senses like the prodigal son. They come to, the, come to their father and say, I'm, I'm sorry. I lived in rebellion to you. Forgive me. I repent. And their hearts are restored. And I believe that's what this verse is talking about. Their father, their hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children of their father. There's a restoration that happens when people heed the word of God and listen to scripture and follow what it says. They're going to restore relationships. There will be repentance. There will be renewal. And we look now to do that. We don't wait And the end of the Old Testament ends, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction or like a curse. It says, turn, lest I come and curse the land. And then there were 400 years of silence after the prophet Malachi until the Savior came. Until John the Baptist is in the wilderness preaching repentance. And we see the first coming. And those that may have read Malachi may have been like that. There's an image that we looked at before. There was an image of a mountain. Then they saw Jesus is coming. We looked at this a few times before. And but now we know Jesus already came and he went back to glory. And we look forward to the second coming. Old Testament saints really only knew or thought of one coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now we know Jesus Christ came and we can look forward and see the second coming. Hopefully that wonderful, great clip art from 1990 helps you see that. But we see very clearly that we have a better picture of these saints in the Old Testament. When the people of, that were listening to Malachi and they all through this time of silence see Jesus, finally, they may have thought all this is going to happen. And sometimes when we read the New Testament and the Gospels, we understand that's why people were doing some of the things they thought. They didn't know of a second coming. And then Christ ascends into heaven and says, I will come again. And we look forward to that second coming. We look forward as we stand between those two mountains in some sense, and we look and we see that Christ will come again. And we also can preach the same thing, that there is destruction that is coming on evil ones, and it should make us want to fear the name of the Lord. So as we conclude, and as we finish, I want to encourage you with this proposition The coming of the Lord will be judgment for the wicked, but great joy to those who fear him. So get ready for the coming of the Lord. And I'll ask, do you honor and fear and respect God's name? If you were in the place of God and looked at how you live in honor and fearing and respecting his name, how would you say you were doing? Or do you often blindly look at your life and say, I'm good. I think God will forgive me. If you live the way that you live or your kids live the way that you live and that's how they said they were going to respect your name, how would you feel? Just think, am I honoring God in my life as well as I can in what I say and what I do and what I think about and what I hear and who I spend time with and what I watch and how my life is lived? Do I honor God? Not do I get enjoyment. Is this okay? Is this permittable? Is this fine? Can I get away with this? Think, does this 
honor God. You may remember a long time ago, there was a bracelet or things that were often books that were called WWJD. What did it stand for? What would Jesus do? You could possibly change that and say, does this honor God? I mean, I can think about a lot of things Jesus would do. Well, he may heal everybody or he may change, you know, water into wine or he may do all kinds of impressive things. And I should follow what Christ would be. I need to be Christ like. But another question that we can ask when we're evaluating life and thinking about different choices we have, we can think, does this honor God? You may think, well, I show up to church a few Sundays, but I disregard God throughout the week. I don't care about honoring his name except for from 1030 till whenever the pastor preaches till on Sunday. Or do we honor God throughout every day in the quiet times when nobody's watching, when there's nobody around, when we don't think anybody sees us in our hearts, in our minds? Do we honor God or we just do it for show? God knows. But believers, this world is tough. And we've seen even this week the destruction and evil and the sinfulness of man. And we can look and say, Christ is coming. He's coming with healing in his wings. He'll heal from sin. He will give us freedom from evil. He will give us victory over the evil one. One day we will have a time that we are pain free, sin free, evil free, away from Satan, Satan free, completely in the presence of the son of righteousness. Our Savior, the whole book of Malachi says to honor God and we as New Testament believers, thousands of years removed from this book can look and say, God, I want to do what you told them to do in this book. I want to honor your name because it will be worth it when you come. The coming of the Lord will be judgment for the wicked, but great joy for those who fear him. So get ready for the coming of the Lord. Are you ready? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this clearness in Scripture. Lord, thank you that we get to see, uh, Lord, things that you challenge these Old Testament Israelites with, that you laid out plainly. And Lord, as we look back, we sometimes think, why would you not just turn from your sin and submit to God? And Lord, in our own hearts today, we sometimes are so blind that we live in sin and we're not willing to submit to you. We can look back and see the problems they had, but Lord, sin blinds us and we don't see our own ways that we dishonor your name. Lord, would you point those out in our heart today? Lord, as we sit here and we quietly pray together and even in silence, would you work in the hearts today of the people that are that are listening here of this church at Faith Baptist Church? I pray that you would work in the people's hearts so that as they hear and think about the word of God, they would really evaluate, do I honor your name? And I ask, Lord, that you would truly work so that we can see you clearly. Lord, help us to be convicted of sin. Use the Holy Spirit to convince us of our problems and sin against you and convince us of the goodness of the gospel so that we can come to Jesus and repent. Lord, I pray that we would be known as people that honor your name and that fear you. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. Thank you so much for this church and for the people here that hear the word of God and listen and heed it and turn to you. And thank you, Lord, that one day we will get to see you as you come in glory. 
with healing in your wings and victory. And we get to have joy like calves leaping from the stall because our great Savior is here. We look to you, Lord. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.